If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, I'm going to ask you to go to Ephesians chapter 3 with me. Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to be looking at the last half of that chapter, Ephesians chapter 3, looking at verses 14 to 21. You heard Brother Steve mention this in prayer, and I know how much Angela loves to be the center of attention, and so uh, I almost feel like getting Angela to come up and testify, but I won't do that. Look at the shock face. If you're new to our church, we've been blessed to have the Bartlett family with us, and um, Wes has been a great friend to me, and a great friend to Mile One Mission. He's represented Mile One Mission and Calvary Baptist very well. But they say, uh, you know, there's an Newfoundland expression that says you can take the boy out of the bay, but you can't take the bay out of the boy. And that's also true of pastors. If God's called you, you can come out of ministry, but ministry never comes out of you. And so that's something that Russell has been in a year-long journey with God, and we've prayed through that together, and we've walked through that together, and God has called him back into the ministry. And so they'll be going to Hamilton, Ontario at the end of this month. This is their last Sunday with us, and so that'll all make sense why I've chosen to preach what I have chosen to preach, which is the powerful prayer for spiritual strength. And it's kind of neat that we would have the Bartlett's here and the Churchills, who, Lord willing, will be headed back to South Africa as well. And I know they would covet prayer for spiritual strength. It's never easy to do these things. And I want to challenge us all as a church while I focus in on, on, on Ross and, and, and Angela and their family. But if you'd go with me to Ephesians chapter 3, I want to read verses 14 to 21 and really challenge us about the power we have in prayer. Last week I talked about the power for giving prayer. This week I want to talk about the powerful prayer for spiritual strength. And next week I'm probably going to do that theme again and deal with another avenue of prayer as we get ready for the fall season. But here is Paul writing to the Ephesians. He's in prison. The, the tradition tells us that he was handcuffed to an imperial guard and likely was visited and had a scribe that visited with him and he likely said this letter as somebody else wrote it down. And so here in the middle of this letter that was read to the churches of Ephesus, here's what he says. And if you probably have a study Bible of some sort, the caption above this section might even say, prayer for spiritual strength or something like that. And here's the word of God. Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he, God, may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Why? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading of his words this morning. It is rumored and said by tradition that Mary Queen of Scots once said this about a dear man from Scotland named John Knox, and she said, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than the armies of France. 
And I guess my question for all of us this morning is, do we have that kind of prayer power in ourselves or in ourselves as a church? D.L. Moody, who is the one responsible that God used to save Sir Wilfred Grenville, who there's a statue over on the lawn by the Confederation Building, once went across the ocean to England and met a guy by the name of George Mueller. George Mueller was famous for his faith and that he raised up orphanages and cared for hundreds of orphans and said that never asked for anything. He simply prayed for it and God supplied D.L. Moody was a famous evangelist of Chicago, did all kinds of work. His, his Moody Church is still there. The Moody Bible Institute is still up and running to this day. This is how he described D, uh, George Mueller. He said, he is a man in a constant state of prayer. His mind and heart were always praying to God. Now I wonder to myself, is that how I would be described? Robert Murray McShane, another great Scotsman, said this, What a man is on his knees before God, that he is and nothing more. These are profound statements. And so here in the middle of August, I want to ask you, how's your prayer life, church? How's your prayer life as friends, as family? How much do you pray? And I want you to know from the outstart, and for those of you that have worked with me, Russ knows this, I am an extroverted person. I love to be busy. I love to have action. I love to be in motion. And prayer is hard for me. To be still and know that he is God. How alive is God to you in prayer? Do you believe in prayer? Do you understand prayer? Do you want to? Is prayer really that big of a deal anyway? And I would say it is. Because in the New Testament, I don't know if you realize this, but the word pray, prayer, and praying are talked about, are you ready for this? 155 times in the New Testament alone. So I would think that God wanted us to pay attention and say that prayer is pretty, for that we in the 21st century in Canada and the United States as the evangelical church, we've lost our way on so many levels when it comes to prayer. And here's why I think that is. I think we've lost our way when it comes to the gospel. We've lost our way when it comes to discipleship. We've lost our way when it comes to a deeper understanding of who God is. We have settled for gospel light. It's like now our faith is diet faith. No calories. No sugar. And because of this... When I'm talking to people in my home province, in my home city, this city that I love, this province that I love, when I talk to professing evangelical Christians, when I talk to those who would profess to be Christians and we get on the topic of God or prayer, I often hear God described as a doctor or as a food bank provider, almost as a teddy bear, uh, almost like Linus's security blanket in the comic strip Peanuts, like a buddy or a pal, or like your own little secret comforter. comforter. And, and, and I want you to hear me. Don't get me wrong. It's not that I'm saying that God is not a God of comfort. The Bible says he's the God of all comfort. It doesn't mean that I don't believe in Jehovah, Jehovah Jireh, who is the God who meets our needs and heals us. I preached on this from what we would call the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. 
But I would also say that we often approach prayer as if somehow we get to tell God our wants and desires and somehow obligate him to us. And you'll notice that in the New Testament, prayer is never in accordance to us, but always in accordance to him. In fact, I don't believe the New Testament ever teaches us to treat God like a piggy bank. But as the Lord of the universe... As the King of kings and Lord of lords that we sang, there's no one like you, no one like you. He's the sovereign God of all. In fact, I am learning still at 48 that that's the God I want to pray to. I don't want to pray to the big man upstairs or to a teddy bear or my piggy bank. I want to pray to one who can do everything. I've just come off a, a couple of weeks of being away. One of those weeks was to spend with Debbie on vacation. I've had a lot of time to read and to study and to be confronted about some things. And in the vein of being transparent, I've been confronted about my sinfulness and my shortcomings. But I've also read some incredible books. One of the books I read over the last couple of weeks in getting ready to preach on John chapter 10 is by the name of, by a book by the name of a guy named Philip Keller who wrote about Psalm 23 and then John chapter 10. And he writes about how just a shepherd writes about Psalm 23. And it's been a wonderful journey for me. And I've learned and been exposed to the greatness of God and the love of God and the power of God. And I have had more than one of those conversations with myself about my life. I'm officially middle-aged. And that's all right. You can laugh and giggle. And so I've been looking at how has God made a difference in my life? There have been our grandparents... And you look at that next generation of your family and you start to think about your legacy and you start to think about what your life has meant and where it's headed. But also, I'm 48 and in the last season perhaps of what would be dynamic ministry life and they say your life as a pastor is done in 15, so it's first 15, the middle 15 and the last 15 and I've officially kind of entered that last 15 years potentially of my pastoral ministry and so I found myself over my holidays asking corporately questions like where is Calvary Baptist headed? Where are we headed? Do we have this kind of powerful prayer as a church? And I would say that the answers to all of these questions is found in the Word of God I've read for you in Ephesians chapter 3, 14 to 21. And if you're really listening and you're really looking, you'll find them there. You see, Paul is writing to this group of Christians, and he had the joy of being used of God to bring the gospel to this city called Ephesus. He spent over three glorious years there and untold miraculous things happened. I wish and would encourage you to read it in Acts chapter 16 to chapter 21. But now as he's writing this, five to ten years has gone by. I'm almost here five years. I don't know if you realize this, but on January the 12th, which is only five months from now, Debbie and I will have moved here from Prince Edward Island five years ago. How time flies. And I tried to imagine as I was preparing this what it would be like for me to sit down and write a letter to the church that I pastored before, having been gone now for five years. What would I write? How would it be received? What has changed in my life? What has changed in all of their lives? And so here's Paul writing back to this church that God had used him so much for. He's now in prison. But you notice he wants to encourage them and he wants to challenge them. He realizes that there are new people there, maybe even a new generation of Christians, and he wants them to know about the amazing 
power of the gospel and how that power plays out in real life. And when I thought to myself that God has blessed me so much with friends, I count Tim as a friend in ministry. Tim and I often talk. I will say when Tim does text me, we often play text tag. But when we finally do get on Skype or uh, Apple FaceTime or something like that, it is not uncommon for my thing to say we were there for two hours or three hours on that phone call. When my buddy Herb calls me, it is not uncommon for us to be hours together. And now with Russell... I'm sure that'll be another third phone call that I'll have that we'll spend hours together. And I think these are just three examples of maybe a whole host of examples of what Paul was feeling when he wrote. And maybe he was thinking about, how do I tell my friends, this church that I love, how to know how to pray powerfully for God to strengthen them? Because when I think about all the things that I would love in your lives... When I think about what I'd like you to pray for me, as the older I get and someone says, how can I pray for you? I'm almost instant to say now, pray for strength. Pray for strength to keep my faith, to finish well, to stay strong, to keep perspective, to not grow weary in well-doing, to not get discouraged in this world, to not get depressed, to not have anxiety. And so if you read the book of Ephesians, really it almost seems like it's two letters into one. The first half is all theology. Here's how Jesus saved you. The second is then a burst of praise, and as a result of that praise, here are some ways to live. And notice this doxology of worship. In Ephesians chapter 1, in the very first verses, Paul prays out, and while he prays, he says, he wants this church to know all that they would know the hope of their calling. And oh, if I could pray anything for Russ and Angela and the family, if I could pray anything for Tim and Christina and their family, if I could pray anything for all of you as you go into the world, as you face life, it's that we would know the hope of our calling. That you would know the hope of the gospel. Secondly, that we would all know the wealth of our inheritance, which is always based on God's grace. Oh, the one thing I'm learning in the mid-season of my life is to stop trying so hard and start resting better. Start realizing what I already have in Christ. My, my father gets smarter the older I get, and my grandfather gets smarter the older I get. My grandfather was the one that once told me, he said, Steve, the big dog doesn't have the bark. He said, if you notice, little dogs always bark because they know they're little dogs. But you'll notice the big dog just kind of sits there and stares at you because he knows he's a big dog. And I think too many Christians yap like little chihuahuas because we don't realize what we have in Christ. The wealth that we have. And then thirdly, that we would all know the surpassing greatness of His power toward us. Oh, that I could get you all to leave here this afternoon and just live in that glow of what you have, the hope that you have, the inheritance you have, and the greatness of the God you serve and can pray to. And you'll notice that Paul, as he writes this letter, goes from this, he says, this is our condition. He tells us that God chose to save us. And then he tells us how God saved us. And then he tells us the result of God saving us, which brings us to chapter 3. And then Paul wants to pray again. He started praying in Ephesians chapter 1. Now he's going to pray again in Ephesians chapter 3. But look at what Paul says about the church. 
Go back a few verses, if you would, in, in, in Ephesians chapter 3. And if you'll notice in verse 7, he says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which is given me by the working of his power. Now he says, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints. I love this. He, you'll see this downward spiral in Paul. He starts with the Corinthians saying, I'm the least of the apostles. Then he tells the Ephesians that he's the least of all the saints. By the time he gets to the end of his life to Timothy, he says, I'm the chief of sinners. And yet his joy actually increases as he sees less of himself. So he says, I'm the least of all saints. But notice, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Why? And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. And here's why, verse 10. So that through the church, you guys, me and you, us collectively, look at this. The manifold wisdom of God might be made known. Now, note, not to the world. Look at the verse. To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now, my friend Mez preached that particular passage at a conference that Russ and I were at in Vancouver, and he laid this out so well. I want you to get this. How many of you have ever watched the game show, Let's Make a Deal? Put your hand up if you've seen it. Some of you may have to age yourselves. Because I'm no, although I see a couple of young people back there that have watched it. All right, let's make a deal. As everybody kind of dresses up and you hope that the, the guy will come and pick on you. And then he makes a deal and he asks you different things. And usually he gives you three doors to choose from. And there's a great prize behind one of the doors. And then two not so nice prizes behind two of the other doors. And, and the idea is hopefully you'll pick the right door. But often people pick the bad door. And so you're looking for a boat or a car or a trip, and instead it opens up and there's a goat eating straw, and you hear that, dun, 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 right? And, and all this type of stuff. And so then they open up the door you should have chose, and they show you what you could have had, and they kind of parade that by you in the audience as you have to stand there and go, that's what I could have had. And I, I believe Paul is trying to encourage the Ephesians to say, listen, you need to realize this gospel, when you pray for powerful strength of God, I want you to realize that one day God is going to gather Satan and all these demons and all these forces of evil that have tried to destroy humanity and destroy creation and go after you. And one day they're going to have to line up and God's going to parade you and I, the church, in front of them and say, look at my bride. You tried to have it and you can't, and it's mine. And they're going to stand there and go, oh, snap. And I got to tell you, I can't wait to be a part of that. I can't wait to go, to Satan and all of his minions. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel the darkness of this world. I feel the weight of evil in this world. And it reminds me here to be encouraged that God has this. And that will fuel my prayers. That will fuel my prayers for the Churchills and for the Russell and Angela and their family. Because don't, don't get me wrong, Russell and Angela get to go on an adventure. But if you think that they're not going to face opposition and oppression when they go and try and lead a church, you come talk to me and I'll tell you different. And every one of you know that while we're in the glories of church service right now and we've sung great music and we've heard great songs being played and there's some safety in here, that you know Monday's coming and the office awaits and life's going to get real very quickly. And you've got to try and make sense of all of this. And so let's remember that what we're doing. So Ephesians chapter 1 verse 1 to Ephesians chapter 3 to 13 is the basic truths about the Christian life. 
Now, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, to the end, Paul's going to exhort us to claim and live by these truths. And so I believe that if we grab a hold of this prayer, it will empower your walk with God. It will transform you and those around you. And if that's true, I don't know about you, but I want to start praying these types of powerful prayers. The Westminster Catechism says this about prayer. It says, Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to His will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of His mercies. That's what we tried to do in our liturgy. We had a call to worship. It was an offering up of our desires to God of things agreeable to his will, then we in the name of Christ confessed our sins and we were assured and thankful for his mercies. And so I want you to realize this and so look at our passage again, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14 and you'll notice the very first thing Paul says is out of a response to something. He says, for this reason. And if you want to know what that is, go back and read from all of chapter 2 and the first half of chapter 3. Paul's been explaining salvation and the privileges, the great love that God poured out on us with his mercy and his grace and his kindness. And I want to ask you, how often do you pray in response to something? The truth is we all pray in response to something. We all need something, or we want something, or we're desperate for something. But I want to know how often do you pray in response to the greatness of God? How often do you and I pray, get on our knees and say, Lord, I'm just driven to pray right now because I want to talk to you about how great you are. I want to tell you how awesome you are. And that's the main point of this passage. Paul is praying that they would know intimately Christ's presence and love. And if I could pray anything for friends of mine, if I could pray anything for you and for Russ and Tim and others and my buddy Herb, it was that we would all know intimately the presence of God and his love. And that's my message, really. I want all of it. And that leads you to an intimate knowledge of Christ's presence in your life, of his love in your life, and it results in your ability to listen to me now, to love God and love people and serve others. Do you need to pick me up? Then ask people to start praying that you would know the love of God better. Do you want to be encouraged? Get people to pray for you. Admit that you need prayer, that you need to know the love and presence of God more. And so I'll notice, very, very quick in a way of an outline, notice in verses 14 to 15, basically practice what Paul does. If you want to pray spiritual prayers of strength for yourself and those around you, practice what Paul does. Look at verse 14 and 15. For this reason, Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now what do you see here? For this reason, again, refers back to anything from chapter 2 verse 1 to chapter 3 verse 13. But what has Paul been primarily dealing with? He's been dealing with the establishment of his church, this new humanity gathered out of the old humanity. At the beginning of chapter 4, Paul will recite one kingdom, one family, the church, which shows the manifold wisdom of God, the angels and demons for his glory. God is doing this, and guess what? He's doing it in you and I. He's doing it in you and I. I look out and I see you, and you are a motley crew. But you know what? You are sinners saved by grace 
if you know the King of kings and Lord of lords and what he has begun, he will finish. And while I may get impatient, he never does. While you get impatient, he never does. While we get impatient, God never does. If I could help, my, my, the number one thing I think I get older as a Christian is people come to me and they are discouraged and they are impatient because they want their life to be better than it is and they feel like they're missing out on something or they're feeling like maybe God doesn't love them enough or they're feeling like they've done something that God has stopped loving them as much as they thought he would. And the answer to all of that is no. That God is way more patient than you are. That what he starts, he finishes. And while you're never going to be truly content this side of the kingdom, you can be content in knowing this, one day you will be whole. And God is never going to say, nah, you know what, it's not worth it. What I started is not worth it. He'll never do it. He never gets impatient. And just like Paul bows down, he takes that position of humility. Remember in Isaiah 45, God says, Before me, every knee will bow. And maybe that's what Paul meant when he said in Philippians chapter 2, At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And here Paul is teaching the Ephesians and us that one day will be true of all humanity. is already true of Christians. So I want to encourage you to humble yourself before God and not be afraid of that. And as the Churchills go back to South, South Africa, the greatest thing I can say to you all is to be humble and know that your God is powerful. And for Russ and Angela and for Judah and Sarah, know as you leave us, know that your God is powerful. Notice for whom he prays. For every family in heaven and on earth. And it is whom the Father has named. See, Paul loves to talk to God as Father. He refers to him as God like that 42 times. Eight times in this letter. Paul clearly enjoyed the power of the gospel and teachings of Jesus to come to God as Father. And I want to ask you, do you? Do you love to go to God as Father? Do you think of Him as your Father? Another way to see that is Paul is praying for Christians as God's family. So look around you. Take, take a moment. Look around you. Go ahead. Don't look at me. Look around you. Look around you. Yes, yeah. Wake up. Hello. Look around you. This is your family. This is your family. Do you pray for your family? Steve gets a bit freaked out by me. I mean, Steve, I think, is a bit like Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory. Steve Daw. He's so smart, I, I'm often intimidated by him. But Steve, one thing that I amaze Steve is, every Sunday when I leave here, on my way home, I see every one of your faces. And for memory, I can list every one of you and where you sat, and I know everyone who was here, and I can list off everyone who wasn't here. I don't know how I can do that. I've not tried to learn how to do that. It's just something God allows me to do. I, I can t tell you this, and Steve can vouch for me that this is something I do every single week. And so every Monday, I know who was here and who wasn't here, and that is my mode of operandi for prayer. I just go through these views and start praying for you all, because you're my family. And I love it when I see you, and I miss it when I don't. And I just want us to be a family. And when I pray for Christians, the family of God, I can do so with a confidence that all true Christians are already in fellowship with God. And that's what happens to you when you hear someone praise for you. 
I want us to be this. And so as I see families leaving us, I want them to know I'm praying for them. We see people that have come back. It's great to see Celeste sitting there. She's been away all summer. And I've prayed for her all summer. And it's joyful to see her come back to us. And I can't wait for the next couple of weeks when the fall hits. We've got families that are moving here from all around the world. And I love to see how God puts his church together. We need to pray for this kind of stuff. And notice, secondly, in verses 16 and 19, we need to practice what Paul prays. Because he prays that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit. Church, I want you to remember what I told you is the main point of this prayer. Paul wants his readers then, and God wants us today to be strengthened by God's Spirit so that we may know intimately Christ's presence and love. If I were able to say anything to Russ or Tim or anybody that's leaving, and as Steve prayed, it is the nature of church in Newfoundland, isn't it? When I think about the four years and eight months I've been here, how many people that called this church home have now moved to other places? And how many new faces are here now that weren't here four and a half years ago when I got here? It's the nature of life in Newfoundland on an island. It seems so often people come and people go. But the, the thing that I would send everybody with is this, that you would know God's spirit strength to know the presence and love of God. I'm not going to pray that Russell be successful. I'm really not. That's God's call. I'm going to pray that Russ will know the spirit's strength and God's presence. When Tim and Christine and the family go back to South Africa, I'm not going to ask God to let Tim build the greatest seminary that South Africa has ever known. That's God's call. My prayer will be that my brother and his family will know the strength and presence of God and the love of God. When people ask me how to pray for Mile One Mission or Calvary Baptist, and inevitably they'll ask, have you built your building? It's tragic that people think the success of a church is by the building they have. It's not that I don't think the building's important, but it's not the measure of our success. Rather, my request is this. Pray for the strength of God in the lives of our church and that we would know the love and presence of God better. Notice the way he does this. This prayer is beautiful and it's simple, yet it's incredibly deep. Look at it, and I think it forms a staircase. Notice step one. He says here, pray that we would be strengthened internally through the Holy Spirit. That's step one. If you want to know how to pray powerful prayers for God's strength, then pray that people around you would be eternally strengthened through the Holy Spirit. He says, God, give Christians strength inside themselves by the Holy Spirit. And yes, I'm saying a lot of things about the Holy Spirit inside of a Baptist church. And I know that Francis Chan was right when he wrote the book, Forgotten God. And we need to realize and be repentant as Baptists that we give lip service to the Holy Spirit and yet don't desperately long for the Holy Spirit to be here and to work. I don't know about you, but I don't want to pastor a dead church. I want to pastor a living church that is breathed with power of the Holy Spirit. And we need to pray this way. And thankfully, someone heard that. And this is because Paul knows in this life you have suffering and persecution and temptation and the flesh fails and he knows we need help from the Holy Spirit to show the manifold wisdom of God. Listen, don't be so proud that you won't admit. Life is hard. And without Holy Spirit perspective, 
You're not going to pull this off. Notice step two. Pray for Christ in dwelt strength. That's what he prays next. That you would have the strength of knowing Christ within you. At first glance, notice that you would know that it's indwelt. And that's a a great word because he's not talking about salvation where Christ indwells with us with his spirit. He actually means that we will mature in our Christian faith where the Christ settles in and he says, mine. So, you know what it's like? How many times have you talked to people when they, when they first get saved? I remember when Celeste first came to Christ. And then I went and met her at the Jumping Bean for coffee. And, and she sits across from me and she goes, Oh, Pastor, oh, Pastor, I have 48 questions for you. And I thought, man, wouldn't it be cool to have that type of coffee with everybody? Have you ever asked her, those of you that have been saved for a while, do you still have 48 questions for Christ? Because it's all amazing to you. Has Christ settled in where he's now, where you can say, Christ owns me. Don't lose your wonder of Christ. Don't lose your passion for Christ. And the only way that happens is if we pray for each other. Can you imagine if we prayed like this? The blessing of new Christians is that it reminds me anyway of what I want my life to be like all the time. To see everything like it's brand new. One of the great things about having grandkids is you get to do it all over again. And you get to go and you see them. And we took Theo yesterday after running some errands to A&W and we got that frosty root beer glass. And for him it was filled with apple juice and we put that in front of him. And he stared at that like he was looking at the Mount Everest of glasses. Right? His eyes were as big as saucers. We put that long straw in there. And food never mattered to him because this big root beer thing was in front of him. And he, and he used to have to push himself up in the high chair to get his lips up over that straw and suck back that ultra-cold apple juice. And I thought to myself, oh, to have that kind of delight every time someone gave me a glass of something. That's what it's like. We need to pray that. Notice step three. Pray that believers would be rooted and grounded in love. Hmm. Now those are interesting words that Paul uses there. That word rooted in our passage is that we will find our nourishment in love. Loving God, loving people. That's what Jesus means in in John chapter 15 when he says, I am the vine, you are the branches without me, you can do nothing. We We need to be rooted in the love of God. Can I ask you, are you? Are you rooted in the love of God? Do you find your nourishment in the love of God? If you're weary in well-doing, if you're a bit frustrated, or you're a bit mechanical or robotic in the way you do church, maybe it's because we've not been rooted enough in the love of God. Maybe you need to pray that for yourself, pray that for others, get people praying that for you. Next, he uses that word grounded. That's actually in architectural terms. In other words, he says, the love of Christ is our foundation on which we must build as Christians. So are you finding your nourishment from the love of God? And is the love of God the foundation that you build everything else in your life upon? One man writes, God's love is the wellspring from which believers are nourished and the foundation on which they find stability. Being rooted and established in love enables them to perceive love, and from knowing love, they are filled with the fullness of God. Love is both the source and the goal. And so Paul prays that this Ephesian church would not only find their source of love in God, but their goal in life would be the love of God. 
I can tell you right now, if we started praying this for ourselves and for each other, the attitudes of bitterness and entitlement and self-righteousness and self-centeredness would start to dissipate. We live in a victim mentality. We live in a world and a culture that everything is wrong and it's everybody else's fault. But if we started to pray like this, and then step four, pray that believers would be able to grasp the full dimensions of Christ's love. Do you see how Paul, just as he's praying, it's like he goes into his own little hallelujah fit as he keeps praying? Because he starts praying all these very academic things, and then he goes, now I want them to know the height, the depth, the width, the breadth, all this. He just keeps going and going. And Paul prays that we would comprehend and be strengthened. In other words, just when you think, you've said, now I get the love of God. There's something new to learn. Just when you think, I now understand how much God loves me. No, you don't. You're never going to come to the end of him. Do you want to have a joy, real joy, unspeakable joy? Then pray that God would help you understand the breath of love he has for you. Moms of children, have you ever held your child, that little baby child, or you've been separated from a child for a while and they come back home and you see them and you wrap your arm and you just want to hug them so hard and, and you hug them and, and then they go, because you're just squeezing so tight because there's this feeling in you that you just cannot express the love you have for your child. And your child is never ever going to understand how much you love them. And imagine then how much an infinite God loves you and I. Imagine if God ever hugged us according to his love. And yet, so often, we pray and act like God is a million miles away. And he loves you. It's one of my favorite things to do with Theo, is to pick him up and hug him. And I just hug him till he goes, Ugh! and then I want him to know, that's how much Grampy loves you. And I want the Bartlett family and the Churchill family, and I want Calvary to know that's how much God loves you. Step five, pray for loving knowledge that surpasses knowledge. When you understand in prayer that God loves you more than you're ever going to be able to figure it out. What a request, isn't it? Remember that song, the love of God, so rich and pure, how measureless? Right? And that third verse that are, there's all kinds of myths about. If every man was a scribe by trade, and if the sky was, was a parchment, and if the sea was the ink, and you, you took everything, and, the, and you had to write on the sky above the love of God, you would never, ever be able to do it, because God's love is greater than anything you and I could ever think of. Imagine praying like this. Step six, pray that believers would be filled with the fullness of God. Now you understand, this is what my goal and my passion is for my buddy and his family as they leave, for my friend and buddy as he goes back a half a world away, is that they would understand, you're never going to come to the end of the love of God. And when you want to make sense of all of the ups and downs, when ministry is hard, when life is hard, when marriage is difficult, when family is tough, when the physical body starts to work against you, when friends betray you, when you feel lonely, if you will get into prayer and have people pray for you about the love of God, it will fuel you through the ups and downs of life. And all that we would pray like this for each other. And then finally, in verses 20 and 21, practice what Paul worships. 
Look at how he bursts into worship and praise. Now that he who is able to do far abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power at work in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I now am starting to get this. I have lived a good life. But I want a better life for my children. And I want an even better life for my grandchildren. I'm starting to figure out now when Paul says, throughout all generations, forever and ever, I am to the point now where I realize Calvary Baptist Church of God Terry's will And I want this body of believers to know the unspeakable strength and love of God beyond me. That's what we need to pray for each other. Notice, worship and prayer of the living God will always lead to love and power. Worship a God who is able to do things and then worship a God who wants us to ask things of Him. You see, we pray to a God who is both willing and able. <laughs> you know, that's why that old Sunday school song, He's able, He's able, I know He's able, I know my Lord is able to carry me through. Man, why do we forget that as adults? And so I want you to realize that. Worship a God who is able to do above what we ask or think. Worship a God who includes us with Christ in His glory. That's what we need to do. And that's why Paul would again burst into praise in Romans 11. He said, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments. How unscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor? Or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? Through Him are all things to Him be glory forever. Amen. Does that not sound familiar to the end of our passage? It's like Paul has given us these little highlights. Guys, if you will pray like this, this is how impassionately worshipful your prayer life will get. And so I want to ask every one of you, do you understand what God has done for you? Is your God way bigger than people? Is God way bigger than your identity? The one thing that I'm learning, and I know Tim is learning, and Russ is learning, is our identity is not in being a missionary or a pastor. Our value is not in being missionaries or pastors. Your value is not in your job, or your gender, or your family, or your grades, or your bank account, or your home, or your vehicle, or your looks, or your popularity, or your fame, or your influence, your value, and your identity is found in Christ and Christ alone. Have you been gloriously saved? I'm looking out and I know most of you personally, but there are visitors and I don't ever want to take it for granted. Do you know the God I'm excited about? Because that's my King. And I'd love you to know Him. Not just about him. Listen, religion as a hobby is a really dumb hobby. There are way better hobbies for you to have. But Christianity as a transformed life is worth everything. And you'd give up everything because you're not giving up anything at all. Because you get everything in Christ. Oh, that we would see that together. And so listen, as we leave... Three simple things. I'm, I'm a Newfoundlander. I know how only how to wrap this sermon up in three ways. How will this fundamentally change you? Well, number one, pray right. I know you're thinking, well, thanks, Captain Obvious. Yeah, well, according to this, pray right. That, imi- that means praying worshipfully. Don't go to God as your piggy bank. 
as your teddy bear. Go to him as the all-sovereign King of kings and Lord of lords. Pray right. Pray and worship to God. It's about God and not about you. Oh, it benefits you. But it's not about you. Theology is what we use to express our relationship to God. It's not talk about God. It's addressed to God. So pray right. One of the things I've, I put down here is we have way too many spectators and commentators when it comes to Christians. We must fear God and worship Him alone. So church, my challenge is pray right. Don't go to God with your grocery lists and your laundry lists. Don't go to God as if you're going to manipulate Him or convince Him or annoy Him or bug Him. Rather, go to Him and prayerfully ask Him to strengthen you, to give you a better understanding of who He is and how much He loves you and start praying that for other people. And I promise you that will change your attitude and your perspective from the youngest of you to the oldest of you. Prayer will be reinvented in your life if you start to talk to God as God. It will. And so we need to pray right. And by the way, I need you to understand that the Holy Spirit will not empower the unwilling, inattentive spirit. Don't think that you're going to pray wrong and God is still going to work. He comes to us. Regrettably and tragically, one of the reasons we don't see the richness of Christ's love for us and in us is because we don't care enough. We're not desperate enough. We're not necessarily discontent enough. One man says we like the privileges without the bother. That's why you have to pray right. And then secondly, we need to pray often. Pray often. Pray right and pray often. Right? This shouldn't need explanation. In everything give thanks. Pray without ceasing. Pray often. I know that Tim and Russ would say, well, Steve, thanks for these profound words as we leave you. But I would say to any friend of mine, pray right and pray often. But you know what I'd also say to Russ and Tim and to this church? Pray big. Pray big. William Carey was the one who said, attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. Is it wrong for us to pray that the church in Hamilton will grow and see souls saved? Absolutely not. Is it wrong for Brother Tim to ask God to use him in a seminary to see a whole generation of South Africans raised up so that they will reach other South Africans with the gospel? Absolutely not. And is that spiritually impossible in our strength? Yes. In God's piece of cake. He took 12 guys. One was a traitor. 11 of them changed the world so that all of us sit here. So what would he do with all of us? if we prayed right and prayed often and prayed big. You see, prayer is more concerned with God than the individual or need because God takes care of our individual needs. So pray right, pray often, and pray big. And I close with this. Let me give you an example of this. Dr. Wilbur Chapman told about when he went as a young pastor to become the church, pastor of a church in Philadelphia. And after his first sermon, an older gentleman walked up to him and said these words, as only older gentlemen can encourage you. And he said, you're pretty young to be the pastor of a church the size of this. But I'll tell you what, you preach the gospel, and I'm going to help you all I can. <laughs> this guy's a crank. But the man continued, I'm going to pray for you, 
that you would have the Holy Spirit's power upon you. And I want you to know that two others in this church have covenanted to join with me in prayer for you. And Dr. Chapman said, I didn't feel so bad when I learned he's going to pray for me. But little did I realize that the three would become 10, 10 would become 20, 20 would become 50, 50 became 200, who met before every service to pray that the Holy Spirit might come upon me. And he said, for the rest of my life, I went into my pulpit feeling that I would have the anointing in answer to the prayers of those who had faithfully prayed for me. And it was a joy to preach. And as a result, we received 1,100 people into our church by conversion in three years, six hundred of whom were men. That's the power of prayer for spiritual strength. I promise, Russ, to pray that God will empower you like this. And I am desperate for you to pray for me and us at this church to be strengthened like that. I know you're probably itching with a lack of patience or so to wait for these documents to come in. But before God and before this church, I promise to pray for you that God will strengthen you to know his presence and love. And I am desperate for you to pray for me that way as well. And for all of you here, I promise you that before I go to sleep tonight, I will pray for you to know this kind of love of God because it's amazing grace. But if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, I beg of you to come and talk to me about him. I would love to tell you about my King and my Savior and my Lord. And I hope that tonight, this week, you'll encourage each other. So let's close in prayer and sing, and then I'm going to have Russ and the family come, and we're going to pray a prayer dedication over you guys as you leave. But let's pray together. Father God, I pray for my family here that they have heard a better sermon than I could preach. But Lord, that the power of your word spoken and proclaimed and read will not return void. Lord, I am not naive. I am a hypocrite. That I often say things and don't then practice them. And Lord, I pastor a church where we are often inconsistent. And so Lord, I know that your spirit is working in the hearts and minds of people here dealing with sin that's unconfessed or not dealt with, dealing with fears or anxieties, whatever it may be. And Lord, only you can show them and teach them about the amazing grace we're about to sing about. But Lord, I pray that my friends and my family here will be encouraged that you are never impatient. You never give up on us. You never turn your back on us. Father, I can never make you love me more and I'll never make you love me less. And Lord, I do want to start today by practicing what I preach to pray that this church, every man and woman here would know the presence and the strength and the love of Christ in new and exciting ways today and in this coming week. Lord, from the youngest person here to the oldest, may we all be engaged with God, with you as Father. And Lord, may we sing passionately now about this amazing grace. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen.